0: So what were were we going to try to do? We we said conversion rates are too low, we need to increase efficiency, we need to really think about what we're doing, and we need to get more targeted because not everybody thinks your baby is pretty.
1: The B2B Marketing Exchange was created with one goal in mind, to help B2B practitioners across marketing and sales be better at their jobs. Now we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. These are the tips and tools you need to succeed. This is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. I'm Alicia Esposito, Senior Content Strategist for Demand General Report, and I actually have the chance to sit on this session live at the B2B Sales and Marketing Exchange in Boston. And what really captured my attention about this session to begin with is that our speaker, Jeremy Middleton, was promoting the fact that his company experienced a drop in website traffic, like it was a good thing. And you may hear on the surface, well, website traffic drop, that's not good, but hear me out. His company, Primata, was targeting such a vast pool of potential buyers, and that led to them targeting possibly uneducated and not ready-to-buy buyers. So when they came to the site, started to look around, consume content, they had either no understanding of Pramata, who they were, and and why they were relevant to their life, or they were interested in Pramata, but weren't quite ready to buy just yet. So by implementing an ABM approach and taking a hard look at their processes, who they were targeting, and why, Pramata was able to re-engineer the way they were engaging buyers and not just focus on the quantity of the accounts, but the quality of the accounts. So, Listen In, I think, is a pretty fascinating approach and story about how a company re-engineered the way they went to market and ultimately found success.
0: All right. So, yeah, I was just reflecting on how strange my life has been in the past decade because I was a high school physics and chemistry teacher nine years ago and uh, decided I needed a change, and it's been a whirlwind journey, uh, but I do 80% of what I do every day, I learned as a teacher, not getting my MBA or at tech companies. So it's been an an interesting journey, and I think what we're gonna show here is sort of a a culmination of what I've tried to figure out based on uh, that journey. So let's get going. All right. Here's our, here's our uh, agenda, pretty straightforward. How many people here have heard of Pramada? That's right, that's right. <laughs> we're try- This is why we're gonna talk a little bit about who is Pramada because you have to understand the business model before we get into the marketing model. So uh, we'll go through this and talk about what we've been doing and what we're working on now. So who is Pramada? We are a company that helps businesses maximize customer lifetime value. Imagine a large B2B company, right? Um, Comcast, maybe? They have a lot of very large enterprise customers. It's very complicated. Uh, They can't keep track. They don't even know what their customers own, where it's installed, when it renews. And and so you end up with a lot of mistakes if you look at the screen up here. Like, uh, you expect to get a certain amount of money but you don't, because you don't bill right. One of our customers has 19 billing systems, and you know through M&A and all these things, they just brought all this stuff together, never fixed it. Uh, you know, you have customers then churn. You don't know how much what their service level agreements are, and at the same time, if you can't even do that, how are you supposed to even know what they own, how to upsell them? Uh, when you can execute price increases. So what we do is we come in, we take all their contracts, we um, pull the relevant information out of it and then share it with the appropriate team, whether it's a sales team they see in Salesforce and they know exactly what their customer owns based on the contracts, what their uh, customer's terms are. So for example, you gave them a 50% discount at one site but another site 10% discount. You can fix that right because you can now see it and you don't have to look at 700 pages of legal documents So uh, so you can imagine uh, If you're looking at this these companies have to be have big complicated relationships uh, Typically they're over 300 million in revenue to see a good ROI uh, They get all their money from their install base right they It's very expensive for these customers to get uh, new customers. So just a little bit about the company. And nobody else does this. We're trying to create a category. And if you're trying to create a category, it does make it tricky to market, right? So hopefully I didn't say the challenge already. So here's what we were doing. Uh, In looking at this, A year and a half ago, uh, I've been at the company two years now, and a year and a half ago, we were marketing to everybody across all verticals, all titles, because everybody would care about our thing, right? Because it's very special, you know. everybody's baby is special. So anyway, uh, and and we were seeing low conversion rates, it was expensive, uh, and we had a lot of different tools, and, and we probably weren't using them in a compatible way. So this is where we were a couple years ago. And we did have great web traffic, right, as Sanger mentioned, but we'll get into that more in a minute. So what were were we going to try to do? We we said conversion rates are too low, we need to increase efficiency, we need to really think about what we're doing, and we need to get more targeted, because not everybody thinks your baby is pretty. So anyway, it reminds me of a Seinfeld episode, but that's another story, if anybody knows that one. Okay, so here's what we did. This was our plan to change our marketing program. Started out, and this may not seem like rocket science, and you see this and go, oh yeah, I know this. But there's a difference between knowing it and doing it, right? And, and stopping and doing it right, okay? So just keep that in mind. So we went out, we identified who, who really cares about us the most, and what is their uh, what message do they care about? Uh, we did this through firmographic data. We also looked at our current customers, right? Because they, it, the people who bought us or bought our product, are probably the same people who would similar people would want to buy the product too. Uh, it turns out old tech companies care about this the most. Uh, and who cares about it? In it, well, we talked about the billing piece, right? Finance. Finance cares about this. Uh, and the other people, sales ops. Sales ops want their people to sell more and not be looking through customer relationship documents that don't make any sense. We then went in, we said, okay, we now have a strategy, we have a message, let's remake the process. Uh, and when we remade this process, we said we wanted it to be simple, and have the ability to optimize on it. And I'll show you more about that in a minute. And then after that, you know, there's a lot of tool, tool folks here, right? Uh, and we, we said, what tools do we really need to implement in this strategy? There's a lot of shiny objects out there. And they all have their value, right? But for our model, we realized that uh, maybe we didn't need quite so many tools. So this is our account-based strategy we had. Uh, and, and looking at it. Uh, you know, when you're thinking about this, right, these large mature, mature tech companies, you saw it on that list earlier. Uh, that was definitely a, a good market for us. We prioritized them into three tiers. Uh, and we started looking at our web page and said, okay, great. So we have basically 300 priority accounts we want to go after. How many of these accounts are uh, coming to our website? Because we got a lot of web traffic. It turned out about uh, 19%. Very low, right? And we said, well, okay, what do we need to do? We, one thing, we'll, uh, a canary in the coal mine for us would be if regardless of web visits, counts of web visits, if the right people were coming, that's more important than volume. So that was one of our indicators we, looked, we thought about early. And I keep hitting the wrong button. Uh, right, we said these personas. Here's another thing. There's probably 10 people at every company who care about this topic. If you're the guy who's a billing analyst, you don't care about our product because you're just trying to fix mistakes, right? And customers are yelling at you. It sounds like a very rewarding job. Uh, but it, when doing this, uh, CFOs care about this, right? We, we had to be really specific. Uh, you know, Heads of sales ops care about this. The guy who's fixing Salesforce doesn't care about what we do. All right, how did we re-engineer the process? We said a few things. One, scalable, simple, efficient. Those were our three things, right? Uh, So what'd we do? We went through, we audited all the systems, we identified key metrics, you can see them on the right, Um, and we said, with these key metrics, what are some industry standards for them, right? What's performing above industry standards, what's performing under? Well, if, if something's under, why is it not working? Right? There's a reason, let's identify the root cause. Uh, let's make changes and put a continuous improvement system in. Right? Or, if these barriers are too large, can it. If it's not right for our model, don't do it. So, if the tactics were successful, Evaluate the tools, right? Make sure we're using the right tool for that strategy we're using. What um, hit the accounts? Monitor the metrics. Always iterate on it, right? So, um, and by keeping this simple and relatively few metrics to measure, it makes it easy to identify what's working, what's not, and the uh, places you need to improve. Okay, so again. When you have 100 different things you're monitoring, it's very hard to identify what's working and what's not because it all sort of muddles into a bunch of graphs on a PowerPoint deck, right? And that's, it may look nice, but it may not help you improve. All right, we consolidated our tools. We had 22, MarTech or tools that we were primarily using to run marketing and a little bit of sales, right? We now have six. So we can hit people with brand awareness for ads because nobody knows about our category because there isn't one. Um, We can uh, nurture them and educate them with Pardot Salesforce, everything flows into Salesforce. So I can run the whole marketing and I do the sales ops stuff too. We can run the whole marketing and sales program of three dashboards because all the data's in one place. And, And with Salesforce, all these other tools work so much better if your data's clean, right? If you have four Comcasts, to use a previous example, if you have four Comcasts in your tool and your sales ops guys won't clean it up to one, it's gonna make your data funky and it's gonna it's, not gonna, it's not gonna be as effective and it's gonna be hard to know what to improve. Okay, so Salesforce data integrity is one thing. If you wanna start anywhere with tools, work with your sales ops folks to do that. I, I was the sales ops guy, so it made it easy. Duh. No issues there on prioritization. Deal signal they do lead enrichment for us. Since we know exact, since only 10 people care about, uh, about this at every company, it, we could literally, for 300 accounts, go in and find those people in Sales Navigator, get them enriched, hit them with our tactics as well as with our BDRs through Sales Loft, okay? So, yes, we did, we, we got rid of a lot of tools. An example would be content syndication. Uh, we had a great content syndication company. Kudos to them. For us, it was not working. We got thousands of leads, and 99.9% of them were not our persona. And so we were spending so much time on that. It was ridiculous. So that's one thing we cut out. We also ungated everything once we went through this process. Because if, if people don't know about you, they're not gonna give you their name right? And how often is the CFO of a large enterprise company going to give out their info anyway? They don't want phone calls from me, you know? Well, not many people do want phone calls from me, but our BDRs are very good. So anyway. All right. So what happened with all this? Here's what we saw. Um, I already told you about the One to three dashboards we run the whole company off of in Salesforce. Uh, Fewer tools that all integrate into Salesforce make it very easy to have a coherent place. Our BDRs can go and they can look every day and see which contacts are engaging because everything has a trackable link so it scores. And Pardot, it just pops up. So every time uh, the morning the BDR starts, he identifies the three to seven people or whatever it is, right, who hit a scoring threshold makes it really easy for them, and they don't have to go to any other tool. Um, and we've talked about reducing the tool set. Uh, since we were targeting with our message pretty clearly, we double, we're we doubling the industry standard in ad clicks. I think our, one of our key success indicators is that increased sales acceptance rate by 5.3 times. It went from 12% to 76%. Uh, so, so I think we must have done something. Half right. Um, In addition, since there's so much higher quality, the cost went down, right? And since they're higher quality, and we're talking to the right people for once, deals don't stall, so the deals go faster, and all this put together means you have more pipeline. Uh, You know, The one other stat, which I could have put on here, is we underspend our budget by 32% because we simplified things. And the boss likes when you underspend, right? It's a much easier conversation to have giving money back than it is to say I need more. So, anyway, here's our problem though. We still have a 13% conversion, so this makes this sound fantastic, right? Let me take a step back. Everything's perfect, we're happy, right? No, deals are still stalling between sales acceptance and our proof of concept, so. 13% 13% of them go through. That's a problem, and this is because we had not implemented a full ABM strategy. What, what, did, does anybody have a guess of what part, we've been talking about this, what did we miss out on? Why don't I tell you then? How about <laughs> the tight link between sales and marketing? So what have we, um, Actually, you know what, I'm getting out of, yeah, here we go, this is good. So, since we have simpler metrics, it was easier to tell what we needed to improve. So our new goal is we need to increase that low conversion rate. Marketing and sales, we're very friendly, but notice our little circles here were just touching, right? The minute a salesperson accepted a lead, we said, let's give it to sales, they got it. But it turned out, and and I'm not a salesperson, but uh, it it turned out when the customer said, this is very interesting, let's talk more, but in Q4 when I'm doing budget planning. And you know, it's six months away. So the the rep would say, great. And six months later, that CFO did get an email saying, hey, remember that 30-minute meeting we had six months ago? Are you ready? It's, It's not, it was, it's, And it's not quite that bad. I'm I'm not giving our very good sales team credit, right? But uh, regardless, so what we're doing is now, and I'm very excited to see the results, I don't know them yet, Uh, but we're doing a full marketing and sales joint, ABM account plan for each of those deals that is promising but stalling. And, Full tactics. We're gonna hit. We're gonna hit them with all those tools, ads, emails, and they're gonna be highly personalized. So if the person said yes, I misbill 30 to 50 percent of my customers, which we commonly see, which is a little scary, right? Uh, if we misbill 30 to 50 percent of our customers, our digital ad will say that. Uh, and so when this CFO sees, hey, remember when we talked? Hey, you don't fix 30 to 50 percent or Okay, I'm not the copywriter. Uh, you can imagine, though. You can imagine what you could write since you have those detailed things. So we're hoping to initially, in the first three months, double, double that uh, conversion rate to POC. Fingers crossed, right? Uh, but the nice thing is we built this model. It's simple. You can scale it, and it sort of self-runs, right? If you have a process that is simple, it's much easier just to let it run. So if I want to give you any advice from this, oh, well, actually, I bet Sangram will be mad at me if I don't bring this up. So we did see a drop in our web visits. And people were very nervous. But you know what? Remember how we said 19% of our customers were, uh, or 19% of our web visits were our targets? It's now 60 to 70%. So we have significantly less web traffic, From the right people, which is much more important. I heard Sangram use the term vanity metrics one time. You know, those numbers look great, and there's others too out there, but you know, think really is a larger number better on a metric? Not always, not always, right? Because we got thousands of leads in content syndication, but it didn't help us move the ball. So, first thing you have to do do that strategy, right? And as we learned, and we're still working on, uh, this is a, a business transformation, not just marketing. If you don't involve everybody, you're not going to be successful. And I, you've probably heard that at every uh, thing you've been to, but it doesn't hurt to reinforce it. Uh, and last, here, here's something people don't think about: you have a, if something's not working, a knee-jerk reaction is to, well, let's change our strategy. We're going to target another vertical. We're going to do whatever. Right? Don't that's a bad idea. If you know you got your strategy right, you never, you don't change that strategy until it's run its full course. Because if you change a strategy, you have to start over, and you know how long it takes to build out these programs, right? And how long it takes for them to penetrate the market. And so, always just fix your process. Don't change your strategy, because it's gonna put you way behind, you have to start over. And I, I, I think that's a key thing that people often overreact when three tweaks might actually make significant results. So, the timer isn't running, and I have no no idea how long I've been talking, but hopefully it's about the right length, uh, and I'm more than happy to answer questions. Thank you. (laughs) Questions, do we have time? Yeah. Oh yeah, perfect. Somebody must have a question. Yes? Oh, I hate answering that question. Can you repeat the question so everybody can get what he said? I hate that question. So yeah, okay. repeat the question. The question was, if we we went from 22 to 6 tools, what did we get rid of? Uh, (laughs) I will not name names. We got rid, obviously, of content syndication. Right. Uh, that would, we had a service that integrated into our Salesforce force and uh, whatnot. Uh, we, got, we had some duplicate tools. We had two sources of lead enrichment, and one was much better in agile versus the other one. So we went with the, actually, it was less expensive and better. How can yeah. you not go with that? There's a couple of examples. Is that satisfy you? We can chat more <laughs> if you want afterwards. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want to bad talk anybody. Yeah, good, thank you. We tried to get rid of Terminus, but they wouldn't let us. Yeah, yeah. we paid you to be that's a That's right, <laughs> that's right. What else? You know, this was interesting, we had a... Can you repeat the question too? Oh, yeah. right, Sorry. yes, repeat the question. <laughs> uh, did sales come into this with open arms was the basic question, right? So, I... they were a little skeptical. We had a mid-year, mid-year business review a while back, and we said, so how's the lead quality? And they said, not great. And we we're like, 12 to 76%, something's going on, your pipeline's doubled. It... Uh, do you like those nurture emails we send out? Yeah, not great. It's the standard sales, it is, I'm stereotyping, but there is a skepticism on sales teams that marketing does nothing, even though <laughs> we've generated every opportunity for them for the past 14 months, but they, don't, they didn't remember that fact. So, uh, yeah, so when we're looking at this, it, what we did was we sat down in a workshop and we literally said, okay, tell us about your meeting. And then we mapped out every tactic and what we were gonna say, and we assigned responsibilities to both the sales team and the marketing team. And at the end, and they were, yes, they were skeptical. There was the sales guy in the back of the room typing and not paying attention, right? But when he was forced to uh, sit down with us, we got, and it didn't take long, 20 minutes, right, to build one of these for one account. And we, he said, Oh, this might be helpful. <laughs> and, and I think from a, from a skeptical salesperson, that is a, I'm willing to give it a try, but I need to see, the, see it move forward. Yeah. Long story short, they're willing to try. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Cool. All right. Okay. I know it's about here. So again, thank right. you, Jeremy. Super appreciate it. Thanks for having Yeah. You.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. To receive future episodes, be sure to subscribe through Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. And if you're hungry for more B2B best practices, join us at the 2020 B2B Marketing Exchange coming to Scottsdale, Arizona from February 24th to 26th. You'll have access to more than 100 sessions focused on content marketing, demand gen, ABM, and so much more. Save 25% on your pass by using discount code B2B Pod. That's B2B P-O-D. We hope to see you there.